Hello and welcome to this week's Startspawn podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. How goes it, Ted? It's live. We're going to keep doing it live. For those of you who like live, uh, we are going to do it from uh, Twitch, and we've got twitch.tv forward slash statsbomb. Uh, and we're going to try and do it on Tuesdays at 3 p.m. You know, for the foreseeable future, uh, partly because we're locked down. Also, for those of you who are interested in such things, on Thursday, we're going to go at we, 3 p.m. We, UK. We on Thursday. Is it Ted? Sorry. We. We, we is a stats bomb thing. <laughs> it's a royal we. <laughs> we shall pod again. Uh, yeah, so on Thursday, we, me, uh, are going to talk to Gabriel Marcotti, uh, one of the world's largest soccer journalists, football journalists. And uh, we're going to shoot the shit about modern times, but also we're going to go way back into Gab's origin story. So for those of you who like the live stuff, like that'll be on Thursday and uh, and hopefully that'll be cool. Next week, we'll go live again on the Tuesday, uh, James and I, and then we'll have another special guest star on Thursday and we'll see how this goes. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> but so we today, totally run out of guest stars, basically. <laughs> hey, football is infinitely large. There is no running out. This is true. By the time you run out of people, there'll be new people, and that's exciting. Yeah, if we get if we get back down to start spawning employees, then it, we've run out. Do you think? <laughs> Wait, there's start spawn employees who want to be on here, so don't sure, imply sure. that they're. I'm, the not, I'm of... not saying they wouldn't be good. They'd be very good. They're smart, intelligent, uh, well-rounded people. Them all. So yeah, they would be good. Um, all right. So should we get started today? Go on then. Uh, what are we going to talk about, James? Well, you've got slides, haven't you? You have slides. Uh, right, I slide. What's the first slide? <laughs> the slide is online courses are live. Yeah, which we, we've is got, a we've big got, deal. We've got to go through this again just to just to kind of like get the get people known about it because uh, we've recorded the introductory course. I, I recorded quite a lot of it. Ted Ted added his his unique style to the set pieces section, so you do get some Ted in there, which is pretty cool. And it's been like it's been launched today. If you go to the website, you can find uh, all the details and you can sign up. Uh, for a very reasonable fee, and yeah, it's, it's it's aimed at everyone, isn't it, Ted? This is a thing. It's not like it's not, you know, how to do hardcore analytics. And we should give Devin Devin Plude put an amazing piece of work out late yesterday that was like very much how to do hardcore analytics, uh, which is cool. And you know, people want to do that. But if you just don't really understand how data and football kind of fit together then this course is for you. I mean, it's for it's for anyone who's who's got even the slightest bit of interest in here or wants to kind of get a route into understanding how uh, data and stats people look at football and understand it. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's it's really useful in that regard. It gets gets you on the first step of the ladder. You know, you're not, you're not going to be running before you can walk. You'll, you'll get, you know, a really kind of broad and rounded idea of how football uh, looks from a kind of data perspective, I think. Yeah, we went out of our way to make this appropriate for coaches and people who are analysts but not necessarily comfortable with data. Uh, it's not a data-heavy course. We're not talking about modeling or anything like that. It very much is just the opening step to this journey. And it you don't have to even care about football analytics. You just have to care about knowing, wanting to know more about football. Like That was the whole point of this. And it includes a lot of our research and a lot of things that we put into practice over the years. Um, yeah, so it's out there. Uh, if you go to the Academy page on uh, the statsbomb.com website, easy to get to. I also posted a, a link to a little bitty primer uh, and an FAQ about questions that I've gotten about this on our website today and on social media. So there you go. Hopefully, uh, many, many, many of you have asked 
since like 2013. Like, how can we give back? And and Statsbomb has has never really charged for anything outside of like our courses. We don't charge on you know the .dot com side. Um, we've tried to give away a lot of free data and stuff like that. Uh, we've never charged for a subscription to read our articles, uh, but. If you're interested in this, tell your friends. If you think it's great, please tell as many people as you want or as you can uh, down through coaching groups and stuff like that. We have had a number of um, sort of directors of coaching uh, at professional clubs be very excited that this exists and recommend this to uh, their coaches all throughout the ranks uh, because it does teach you a little more about football and also about how the modern game and the top teams are starting to view you know, data and information in football itself. Yeah, and that's the thing. It does it, you know, just just having a greater acknowledgement of information around uh, what goes on on the pitch uh, can benefit all levels of football. Um, I want to say thank you to Cat and also to Charlotte who got these up and running. Cat did an amazing job cutting it all together. James and I are are not smart enough to make that happen in a really attractive way like Cat did. So I could have done it in a shoddy way. That would have been well, exactly. That. But apparently, that's not <laughs> how we do things. Professional outfits, so you know that's good. <laughs> we have people that help us. Right, what should we move on to? Because that's, that's that's the kind of like what's going on with Satsbomb stuff. Uh, I've I will be posting in I think the next forty-eight hours, hopefully, uh, a link to the webinar for set pieces. Uh, I posted a, a poll yesterday on social media, and out of about five hundred people that voted. 53% wanted it to be a one hour, five days uh, seminar. And then 47% wanted it to be a single day for about five hours. And I think what may happen is I might end up having to teach this twice uh, in order itchy to. Itchy and scratchy and poochy. Do you remember Itchy and scratchy and poochy, that Simpsons episode where they, 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 they test the kids. What do you want? Do you want the most outlandish, you know, robots and craziness and all the kids cheer? And do you want realistic stories and all the kids cheer? Same thing. People just want people just want everything. You can't you, give them give them options; they'll take everything. Okay, uh, right. So <laughs> that's the core stuff. Uh, itchy, scratchy, poochie. Now we're gonna tuck into a little bit of research. We're gonna show you guys some behind the scenes on leagues that almost nobody ever talks about. But Statsbomb collects forty competitions this year, and next year we're gonna go to something like seventy total competitions, and I think like fifty-six ongoing leagues. And it's before you hit the women's data. The women's data is gonna be the Big Five in Europe as well as the um, NWSL in the United States too, assuming that gets played. Um, but yeah, so we are gonna start where, James? I can't remember where. Did you, I mean, yeah. Let's not say these are not <laughs> unknowns. They might be unknowns to, to us before this morning because, like, we didn't we didn't really have a look at this very much. But I, yeah, I mean, I do do some work on the pro scouting stuff. Uh, admittedly, mostly my team uh, take care of that. Uh, Nikos is in charge of it, and uh, Ewan and Scott, who are analysts, work on it. And we have scouts and stuff that are also working on it. So we, so we have got quite a good knowledge of around Europe. Um, but I, myself and yourself specifically don't really get hard hard into the, and the numbers into some of these I wouldn't call them obscure leagues but kind of less less well-known leagues I think it is so yeah I b- b- built some charts quickly just to just to get an idea of uh, uh, some players and just just to ponder so these players aren't unknown at all and right. the, and the the, the smart guys are listening, anyone listening in is going to be like oh, because these aren't unknown I've watched this guy since he was at U17 level and such and such, yeah, and that's fine. But like, yeah, I am ignorant these days, and it's really kind of fascinating. Like, people ask you uh, me about stuff, and 
I, I'm only smart because the people underneath me who do all the work actually produce really good material. <laughs> I used to do this stuff myself and used to spend 60 hours a week just like grinding away on stats and scouting and reviewing stuff. But nowadays, I mostly worry about making sure everybody gets paid. <laughs> and, this is the thing. And, uh, <laughs> and meeting people and making sure, you know, uh, how do I say, evangelizing the quality and and the of the good work that everybody else does. So like, there you go. That's life what of a CEO, for. isn't it? Yeah, and you know a lot of my roles <laughs> kind of like manage, you know, manage managing situations and fielding queries and whatever it is. So you know this is uh, this is how it goes. But uh, yeah, look, you're going to have to move the slides on Ted. I don't have control of this, or have you already done? I'm it? on Croatia one, buddy. Oh, I'm on the wrong screen. There we go. Right, Croatia one. What do you know about one H and L? I don't know much about it. I, I built this chart this morning, and it was intrigued. Uh, Looking at your chart, I would say that Dinamo Zagreb <laughs> are probably good. I think they're 20 points clear. They're a good, good side, I think. <laughs> I, I, I filtered it to 600 minutes, and there were even more Dinamo Zagreb players. I was like, right, up to 900. We're going to 900 minutes to try and get, try and get a few of them off there. But, yeah, you've got, you've got five Dinamo Zagreb players uh, on, on the list. And, yeah, I don't know much about these. Uh, I think Gar- Gar- Garanovic, who's leading the... Uh, leading the uh, league for kind of XG and XG assisted. He's, I think he's 29, so I wasn't very interested in him, so I kind of looked down the list. I found Mirko Maric, who's uh, for, at Osijek, and I think, I think I was interested in him because I was, I, I was like, do I know that name? And it's like, no, I don't know that name. And uh, so I got, Rene Maric? Well, yeah, or was it was it Marin? Was it Mirko Marin? Or there was someone, there was a Marin player a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, the Chelsea one, right? Right, yeah, so this, this was the thing. I was like, well, down the rabbit hole, I was like, is this is that that guy? He's like, no, it isn't that guy. At all. Anyway, I had a quick look at him, and I thought he was, he was vaguely interesting. He's 25 as well, so he's not quite, you know, on the cusp of. Uh, he's not. He's not. He's not too old, you know. If you if, like, maybe you're interested in these players or whatever. Is he seems to be scoring scoring quite well. He's kind of fourth for just expected goals. He's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of kind of assisting uh, nature to him as well. And look at his chart there. Um, what else did he say about? It? Not a hell of a lot of workload from like kind of like pressures and such like. Um, you know, a lot of touches in the ball. Pretty much looks looks to be a ge- kind of general, uh, you know, kind of f- f- striker type, as you'd expect from this kind of chart. And um, yeah, what else to say about him? I think we can move on to the next slide if you like. Uh, oh yeah, last two seasons he's got 18 and 17 league goals. He was un- unbelievably he was at Dinamo Zagreb until 2017. So you know they've not that they need a lot of talent there, but they used to have him. And spent a season in Hungary, and then the last three seasons has been Osijek. But yeah, goal scorer in this league. So like you know if you're looking at you're looking at this league and you think uh, maybe this uh, maybe this talent there, then you know he's got a reliable record of scoring at least over the last two seasons. Um, I think yeah. Have you moved to the next slide yet? I don't know if you've seen. Hang it. on, I had a question. For you, go on. Have you been to Croatia? No, I haven't. No, really, never. No, wow. Okay, I, you know, I, I thought that was fairly important. Have you been I, to Croatia? Have I been to Croatia? Yes, I've been to Split actually. Split's really cool, is it? I'm a big fan. Why did yeah, you go man. to Croatia? Uh, holiday? Why, why would Seems reasonable? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You, Ted. <laughs> So you get you get invited places sometimes and go there for reasons. Oh, that's true. Actually, so, no, no, yeah, I, I, do, be... I do forget. I was like, "Why are you asking me this question?" Yeah, Everybody else goes there, not helping. <laughs> the Split Airport was the most heaving airport I've ever been in. Apparently, they had an explosion of uh, not an actual explosion, sorry, but an explosion of tourism over the recent years. Uh, not least because of uh, that 
one of the shows that you won't ever watch, which is basically all of them. But Game of Thrones, I believe, was filmed there. Right. Uh, at least partly there. Um, so, yes, uh, I have been to, to Croatia. Uh, there, there's a good story about this, actually. So, Croatia, it, obviously, we know, we know people produce um, good players. And <clears throat> the important thing that I'm trying to get to is, is back in the day, there was a very young Andre Kramaric there. And I think he'd scored like 20 goals by the time that um, that midseason. And uh, different teams were looking into him. And Brentford were like, how much would we have to pay for him? And initially it was like $2 million, And I think by the time that he was purchased, it was about 9 from Leicester City. Uh, and then didn't work out at Leicester, but then went to Hoffenheim. has been like super uh, basically every year since that time. So, yes, uh, there is occasionally some very, very good talent that comes out of Croatia. Maybe not... Maybe they got them young, uh, and and the current generation is not as good. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that that's an interesting thing. I mean, quite often you do get players that are they're already out of the, the you know, they're they'd never even kind of grow in their own leagues. They're already out into academies and gone to they've gone elsewhere at young ages. So, yeah, it's interesting. You don't often find uh, find players kind of like down down in these leagues. Uh, but you know, players progress at different rates. This is the thing. Sometimes you just find find guys break out. There's a shot map there. I think we got you got that up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I moved it on. I, Sorry, so we've two, got the shot map there. We've also got screens. the pressure map. Yeah. So mostly right sided. Yeah. This is the thing. This is a kind of forward. This is a kind of area. There areas he covers. Like I say, we didn't see him like kind of scoring very well, for, like very highly for the pressure pressure work that he's doing, and that and that can be obviously team related uh, and the style of play. Uh, a lot of through balls on that left-hand side in the shot map there. Yeah. And it feels like if he just came a little further inside, those would be really easy goals. <laughs> like, if you move, like, two meters inside if you can, those are those are definitely goals. Yeah, I mean, he's he's, yeah, he's, he's, take, he's, he's obviously getting in positions, but not necessarily... Uh... Not necessarily kind of making the most of them. Yeah, the, the kind of blue through ball is, is the, the, the for those of you who aren't watching. The, the, we've got like these kind of left-hand sided through balls that aren't very high value expected goal chances because they're kind of hard. It's hard to score from wide. Um, and yeah, you, you, he's obviously got the ball beyond the defence, but they're not quite going to an optimal position. Uh, I'd be curious as to who's playing those through balls to him, and also like that when you rack up this this number, this volume of through balls in you know, not that many games. Uh, you end up thinking that somebody's probably pretty quick, which you know is, is something you're looking for in a striker. Uh, this is just you know me spitballing stuff that we don't know much about this player, but this is from historic information. This is kind of the conclusions that you end up drawing based on the data. So, yeah. All right. I've got. I tell you. Moving what, on. No, I will tell oh, you. What, yeah. I've, got, I've got a little, um, a little, um, little piece that I can relate to there because I was looking at Liverpool. And uh, did you know who make, who takes Liverpool's through balls? Who creates them? Yep. I do not. Have a guess. Uh, <laughs> Wijnaldum? Uh, yeah. Is, is that it? Is that the right answer? <laughs> it's one of the right answers. <laughs> you, you said a guess. Like, come on. Be more specific. <laughs> right, do you want to know what the answer is? The answer is yes. everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Seriously. It's useful to have really fast guys in front of you. Yeah, no, it's this is something because uh, part part of the course we've done is like a review of a team. And I did Liverpool because I know them well, and it's it's an easy reference point to kind of you know jump in at that people can understand. And um, yeah, one of the things that I picked up with there was that Liverpool essentially um, create 
chance, to, like their whole squad, <laughs> like near of their whole team, uh, has got like a bunch of credit, credited, like successful through ball key passes this season. I think Henderson was top with 11, uh, Mane with 10, and then you go, you get, I think you get down to like four, four completed through ball kind of. Uh, key passes. Uh, you've got eleven Liverpool players, and there's no other team that I think Man City have got six or seven players that have actually got you know a reasonable volume of credited through balls. But I thought it was really quite interesting because you know if if you've got literally nearly everyone in your team who's intending to uh, play killer passes and looking for it whenever it's on, then that's that feels like a good idea. <laughs> and if you've got the capability as well, I mean, I don't well, exactly. If your teams if are going to spread f- that across your team. Uh, you're also anti-fragile, so if you lose somebody, but everybody else is still capable of playing those, like that's that's all right. You're you're not losing much off your style of play. Uh, we've we apparently have like a, a Croatia expert here, uh, or a, a, an Eastern European scouting expert in the in the in the Twitch stream, who's basically telling us that that uh, Os, Osijek has a, a good left back, wing back, uh, but he's also potentially slightly crazy. Not my words, uh, which is a reason why he's still in Croatia. So there you go. One of the benefits of being in the live stream for the, the Twitch chat <laughs> is that there are other experts that are also giving you information. Who knew? Yeah, this is cool. I mean, like, yeah, so I don't think there's much more much more to add on Marich, but we just thought we'd highlight him as someone someone that was potentially um, you know, potentially interesting in that league. Where are we going now? Serbia. Who knows about Serbia? Uh, Serbia. Very nearby, Serbia. Yeah, there we go. And there is Marco Marin. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, I was like, "Wait, are you lying to me now?" <laughs> no, 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 he's actually in this list. In this list, yeah. Red Red Star, understandably, got a lot of players. And he, yeah, Marin's very creative in this league. Uh, a guy called Seduba Sumo, who plays for Partizan. I don't know much about him at all. Uh, he's he's uh, got quite a high expected goals assisted rate. But yeah, the, the guy that stood out here, mainly because he's got a Ronaldo esque uh, <laughs> radar that we kind of uh, put together. He was a guy called Umar Sadiq. Uh, he's 23 years old, which is uh, is intriguing in itself. He's a Roma kid. Yeah, this is the thing. He used to be. He used to be in Roma. Uh, the, the information around him. He's doing really quite well, uh, and he's actually gone to Partizan on a on a full contract this uh, this year. Oh wow, I didn't know that. No, so, like he was. He was at age 19. He was looked like a potential future star for Roma. Physically, really interesting. Got a little. Uh, got a good amount of of time. Uh, on the ball, but for or uh, in Syria, like as, as a young kid, but then they started loaning him out, and you know you never quite know how things are going to go uh, loan wise. I don't think that necessarily his style and the amount of turnovers that he had fit in with what Roma wanted to do at the time. Uh, so yeah, then yeah, he's he's moved on, but now 23 years old at Partizan, um, and not Cervena Zvezda. <laughs> yeah, my my notes my notes here are basically that he, had, he bounced around about nine clubs whilst at, you know, at Roma for four years. Loans were all over the place, and Partizan loaned him. I think at the start of this season, he scored eleven goals in the first half of the season. They made it permanent over the winter. Um, it, it's fascinating. Again, when we're talking about player development. I mean, has has he just got it now? Has has he you know has he just found his level, or has he actually improved going into his you know age 23, 24? You'd expect a player to be um, kind of producing at the level. He didn't really get on the pitch that much, and when he didn't get when he did get on the pitch before, he didn't seem to score very many goals. But yeah, obviously, good shot locations mostly. Some some crappy ones though. So you wanted to have him talk with him about that. Um, but yeah, his his open play shots are about point two zero, which is almost yeah. as high as you get across the the forward line. His finishing isn't you know great, but small sample. We'll find out. You know, you want to dig back in the information to find yeah, find sure. out how much um, 
you know, how, how consistent that is. Like usually there's variance around the mean of expected goals. Uh, but if you're consistently finishing below your XG, like there might be a finishing problem, which means you're potentially a bit wasteful. Right. And that, um, and that, I do know that Serena Cervezda, by the way, is Red Star Belgrade. You don't need to tell me that again. <laughs> I, I know that it's okay um, but yeah th- this is a good point because obviously he hasn't had that much you know that many uh, minutes at various other clubs so uh, I, I haven't actually checked his data beyond this season but you know it may, may be hard to acquire like uh, a degree of data but I think yeah a couple of these guys have flagged today they've got they've got a volume of goals but they're potentially behind their expected goals a little bit uh, one thing that stands out I think from his shot chart is it's, he's got quite a few times where he looks like he's dribbled into the box and, and created a chance that way a couple of goals that way so you know maybe may Maybe he's a physical mismatch in this league. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah that, that certainly felt true. Like when he was young, he was going to be a major mismatch for a lot of different leagues. Uh, potentially the very best leagues, he he wouldn't be. But in this one, it, it does seem to be true. We have a, a question from the Twitch chat asking us: Do you put much weight on where a player developed academy-wise when thinking about their future? And I've actually put a lot of thought into this, uh, especially from a, a youth perspective, because you know I've thought about. How do you how do you create a more robust stream of players that are coming uh, through your academy that then you can potentially either develop into assets or put in your first team, which is the point. And <clears throat> the answer to that question is I don't put much weight on it at all, but I'm very intrigued by players who have not had elite training, especially when they're yeah. younger. Like if you're if you look like you're pretty good and you haven't had elite coaching, that means that your ceiling potentially is way higher than it currently is, and that stuff's kind of tough to to track down and figure out. But it's certainly something you you want to be aware of, and it's something that you want to to build into um, you know evaluations. And it's possible even that you know you want to cycle more players through your academy. Uh, from around the the local area and give them a period of time where they have better coaching if you think that your academy has really good coaching and then see if you can polish those those sort of uncut gems like that's something that that i think is is not really that well uh understood or respected but we'll see all right so we're moving on from serbia where we had a couple of partisan players, a bunch of Red Star Belgrade player, players, Bojan Matic, another familiar name uh, from Vojvodina. Uh, uh, you know, again, looking at other young players, you might be interested in these spaces. It doesn't have to be the, the forwards, uh, forward lines. There are plenty of interesting players all over the pitch, but we've got the data on it and we're just tucking in on the fun stuff. Yeah, I literally, I thought I'd go and grab some kind of attacker striker types and see see where that went really. So, you know, that was... That so was now we've gone thinking. to Italy, Serie B, which is weird because almost nobody actually knows about Serie B, right? Like, because nobody really data tracks it and we don't see a lot of player moves out of there. And you're going to explain a little bit about why that might be. <laughs> yeah, not going to lie. I, I, I looked at looks at this list and were expected to see more players I recognise and didn't. Um, they're all old. There's, there's a lot. Of, it seems to be quite an old league. There wasn't. There's, there's no one on this list. I think that's younger than about 25, 26. Um, yeah, to, and and that's true actually. In I mean, Italy itself is old too, right? Like Syria tends to be a, an older league. Not a huge surprise that Syria B is. Um, is older as well, especially when you look at like the bottom, say three or four teams in Serie Serie A are often not very good, and it usually means that you know like the young players like there's a lot of space. There are not enough good players to create an elite league there right now. One name on your list, though, I I mean there are a couple of names that I know on this list, uh, not just Insigne, who you know the cousin of the other Insignes, but Marco Sal's on there, and Marco Sal was was one of my favorite data guys for a really long time. 
because he put more he put a higher percentage of like a decent volume of shots on target than anybody I'd ever seen in the data sets. So yeah, for for like one or two seasons, he took very few shots, and they were all really good. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's always good fun to see some kind of you know weird outlier players that <laughs> they do they do come out now and then. Uh, the the Petinari guy who plays for Trapani, I don't think I've even heard of Trapani as a club. So that was uh, that was a new thing. And I I used to play you know a fair bit of Championship Manager back in the oh one oh two kind of era. Uh, no, he's, he's got like he's got fourteen goals. Uh, but he's 28. Uh, looks looks to have had a solid solid season this year. But yeah, I mean, here's here's a question, Ted. I mean, how? I think you know what you're saying about the Serie A. Though I think if you're looking at Italy, uh, I'd say maybe you've got uh, somewhere between 12 and 15. I I wouldn't like to commit to a, a solid number of like kind of um, clubs of a level that are potentially above uh, the rest. Uh, how would how would you? Um, kind of consider the rest of the European kind of like second leagues um, you know Ligue 2 um, the Zwei Bundesliga the Championship uh, Segunda uh, yeah how would, how would you uh, you know kind of lightly evaluate them for the various quality um, that you uh, that's really interesting because it, it doesn't necessarily match up with the, the top leagues but mm. uh, yeah so I think the best among those is a championship and yeah. the only reason that's true now is because there's so much money that is poured in the championship for like the last five to, to seven years, right? Mm-hmm. And there are smarter clubs there and some teams are, are pretty well run and there are just tons of teams and owners that have spent fortunes uh, you know, quite trying big, to get... Quite big clubs, quite big crowds as well. In, you know, well, that's true too, yeah. It, and, it goes and quite some, deep in England. Some very large clubs have, have, you know, moved their way quickly through the championship straight on down to League One and are hanging out there too. In fact, one with a television program. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so championship is the best. But then the question was always like, what is the second best? What is the third best? And in terms of overall competitiveness, it's probably Segunda or La Liga 1, 2, 3, I guess, whatever it is. Um the big big population, Spain is is very deep generally and uh, well coached as well. Um, on the flip side, like the the one that usually has the least money is Ligue 2. But I would put Ligue 2 teams against Serie B teams every day of the week. Yeah, like the top of that league, like I, I have very little doubt that the talent that comes through there significantly eclipses what you see in, in Serie B. Bundesliga 2, also typically very good, although it ebbs and flows a little bit in terms of quality of talent. Germany, a very large space, um, generally pretty good coaching, uh, lo- lots of population, lots of players that come through, but also um, you know a smaller league as well. So there's 18 in the top tier and then 18 in that second tier, I believe. And that means that you have more competitiveness and better players that come through. Uh, what, what does happen is like a... Uh, sort of a cyclical thing is that you know talent will get scooped up as necessary from that second league and from that third league and then brought into the top league depending on if the other places like you know the very top of La Liga or uh, the Premier League especially are buying the best German players and so they'll have to replenish from there so it doesn't always stay the same quality and that's one of the reasons why ranking leagues make is really difficult and you yeah, have to pay no, very okay. close attention yeah. But I, I think that, that that's my ordering. I think I think Syria B in terms of overall talent right now in particular looks like the lowest of them. Uh, and then it's it's probably closer in terms of talent across the other four. Uh, but in terms of like quality of the teams, it's Championship and La Liga yeah. or uh, Segunda. Okay, like interesting topic. That I I wouldn't necessarily disagree with your analysis there. I think you're pretty much uh, close to the mark. Yeah, definitely. When when we've been looking for players and such. Um, 
some of these you find more in than others <laughs> shall i say uh, right should we move on from i haven't got much more to add about seri seri b but it was interesting just to you know put up a list here and you know just all right how broadness how about my well in, in america for some reason people keep very close track of like where their ancestors are from yeah yeah uh, and i i am not only Norwegian and Danish, and the Knudsen bit, you know, is is reflective of that. But uh, I am English and Irish, and also Polish. Oh, yeah, Chicago. <laughs> yeah, Chicago has lots of Polish people, um, and so we're going to move on to one of my many native homelands. You know, I, I, I've always had a dream of, of playing in Poland when I when I grew up. But uh, wait, no, that's Robbie Keane. <laughs> what's uh, <laughs> what's the what's the good team in Poland then, Ted? What do you reckon? <laughs> Yeah, it's so. What's funny is like it's always them, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always Legio Warsaw, but um, Poland is is a funky league in that uh, the population there is really quite big, but we feel like um, you know, there should be more good players that come out of there. And often the the best goal scorers in recent years have been imports. Uh, like you find older uh, Brazilian players sometimes, or or older Spanish players that are brought in uh to that league and they they have quite a good success but not dudes that you've heard of before mm. yeah i mean we've got the expected goal contribution for uh extra extra class here uh the guy that i wanted to highlight I, I actually has moved to celtic in the in the um in the transfer window in january a guy called patrick klimala uh, who plays for no, I'm just not going to get this one right am i jagielonia Bialstock. Uh, Jagalonia Bialystok is what we would say in the gambling world. Not that that's correct, but no. at least it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, but uh, not yeah. like not unlike Midgetland, which is what we always called Midgetland. When yeah, we were gambling. I mean this is this is. I mean the, the, he he's ranked set ranked second. A 21 year old ranked second. Uh, it looks to be an effective uh, forward. His shot volume is quite nice. His uh, expected goal volume was quite nice as well. Um, and I think if you can move on to the next slide, I can just I can just highlight something about him that I I saw when I was looking around, uh, which was quite interesting. Now there's two two things I want to hit on here. Number one on the left, you've got his shot map, uh, which kind of very much skews towards the right hand side. He has had chances on the left hand side, but he hasn't scored any goals from that side. All his goals have come from kind of like slightly right of centre or or further over. Um, I looked at I looked at his kind of ball receipts and such to kind of understand about this, and that they. they pretty much goes across each side of the pitch he's obviously got a strength here by looks of things but the really fascinating thing I've got a map here of his key passes received I'll describe it for anyone who's listening basically a hell of a lot of balls from from deep uh, you know long straight balls high balls often that he's bringing down kind of like midfield on the edge of the um, and then those are turning into shots yeah <laughs> no yeah no i'm not lying honestly like basically he's you know one's on the halfway line a couple more are a little bit ahead of that a few more just kind of uh slightly ahead of that but he, he seems to have an ability to bring the ball down like somewhere somewhere in midfield turn drive and shoot with it and they're not obviously all you know great quality shots but his shot map's fine it's not you know it's not littered with um you know, kind of long-range shots. So, yeah, I, I can certainly see why Celtic took an interest in this guy. Uh, obviously, they bought, I think, one from a reported four million um, in the in the kind of January window. But yeah, just just goes to show that you know, here's here's an example of a player that potentially has um, uh, maybe a unique talent, the ability to you know drive from midfield um, on his own, kind of like move the ball up the pitch, create uh, create his own chances, um, and 
yeah, like only young uh, at a relatively unfashionable side, uh, who got a reasonably decent fee for him, and you know now he's in Scotland. And Celtic have, over the years have made some very good signings that have uh, from not necessarily obvious places that have ended up uh, coming and uh, you know certainly ended up in the Premiership quite frequently and or buoying their own success uh, variously. So. Yeah, I thought he was a really interesting player. Um, just uh, it was funny because I, I looked at him and uh, you know worked out what I felt about him, and then realised he'd been transferred to Celtic already. So it was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> nice, good timing, good timing. Yeah, exactly. I'm not blowing any secrets here. You know, they've already bought him, they already own him. He's their player. He's played a couple of matches. So there's a Jose Conte on on this list uh, that's at the top by quite a good distance. Um, yeah, uh, Christian Git Gitker is is in there at, at Lech Poznan, and he was a guy that we looked at a bunch out of Norway, I think, for a while. Uh, we're quite intrigued by. Uh, there's also a guy named Felicio Brown Forbes, who I suspect is probably not a Polish player. But, um, could <laughs> be wrong. Naturalized. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Again, like I say, these, these, these smaller leagues, uh, you kind of poke around in them. And you, do find, you do find talent there. There might not be you know, tons and tons of players. But again, like when you're you know, when you're recruiting uh, players, you're not always looking for the absolute elite. You're looking for unpolished gems, or you know, what can you afford? And you will, as you well know, through your professional life inside football, you kind of look anywhere and everywhere and uh, try and, you know, try and find these 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 players, and they do exist. Yeah, no, it's it's something that's important. Like we wanted as much data as possible when we were um, doing recruitment, and and still sort of do that. Uh, you're looking for for guys that you can find for for cheap, right? Like as cheap as possible, but as good as possible. That's the uh, the combination that that you want to go through, and and a lot of it is like fishing, especially if you're not like a fancy team. Like you need to find as many good players as you can, and then figure out which ones you can actually sign. Yeah, and yeah. that's that that's like a hugely important bit. It's like yes, we we found all the good players. Like okay, great. How many did you sign? None of them. Okay, so we have to go back and do this all over again. Um, and and actually, one of the things we were talking about last week was was a little bit on that, where you know week after week, the the list of prospects on your big board that you're trying to recruit for, and we were recruiting a bunch of positions. Uh, we kept replenishing them with more and more uh, players and and guys that came back from scouting. And you know some of them are interesting from a data perspective, but plenty of times, like you know, you can't just plunk them on there and say, "Oh, this guy's definitely good enough." You know, the scouting component is very important, and you know, I, I think that that is, is something that people often think that the data guys are, are anti-scouting or you don't need to use the the live video scouting. But really, the data guys just want to control scouting bias and let the scouts see only good players and find the best of them and put them in the team. So that's that's more the way that I think it works. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to talk slightly obliquely about this, but I, I think I can get I can get through it. Um, there's certainly a situation where you can uh, create lists of uh, list of uh, potential uh, players and such, and and if time moves too fast, yeah, sorry, if time moves too fast. Uh, and then suddenly, suddenly you realise from your list of players that the transfers are being made, and your list of players has shrunk because uh, because they've moved already, and suddenly you're left with fewer players. And yeah, that little dance there that I think um, I think is a, a very real prospect. You know, when you you know you, you can do all the work you like and identify the best best player you want, but if it's if it's you know mid mid June and suddenly it gets announced that they've moved somewhere else, and you're like, oh. I thought we were going to get that guy. <laughs> now sure, and, re, re, re and like that's planet. like a whole set of dominoes that happens like during the season. 
uh, you're you're like, or sorry, during the during the transfer period, you're like, okay, these this is our lineup. Oh, we lost that guy. Oh, we lost that guy. And sometimes, I mean, so we, I, I've told the story on here before, but I think we went through 66 left backs between Brentford and and Mitchelland in in basically one overall transfer session. So we started back in February, and then by the time that the transfer window closed at the end of August, we reviewed 66 left backs and. I would say more than half of these guys were definitely good enough by the data. And what we found was that the scouts were disagreeing about what makes a good left back. And they didn't necessarily even agree with the coaches about what we should be looking for. And that caused a lot of friction and potentially waste. And and also, you know, you, you found like the first 20 and you're like, all right, we could sign any one of these and I would be happy. And then like, they're all gone. And you're like, well, shit, now we're like, you know, deep into the transfer season and we needed to, to have some of those guys. And so sometimes it really is a scramble and, you know, mistakes will happen as, as you have time pressure. And that's one reason why we tend to work way, way ahead of time so that we, we can view things like as fast as possible. I know Tim Keach, uh, uh, Stop Bunching or whatever, was talking about this at one point where he was like, you know, you want to find them, but you don't want them to be found. And but you also want to make sure that they keep scoring at like the same rate or they're as good throughout the whole season, because you need that to prove that your data is right and to make sure that you're buying the right player. But the longer that they perform at a really high level, the more likely they are to be seen by other people. And so it's tricky. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, that makes sense entirely. It's, um, yeah, just getting the balance and, you know, finding finding the right time is, um, and of course, everyone, more people are looking now, aren't they? You know, there are, there are always going to now be more people who are attempting to use data or, you know, have greater access to platforms that, you know, potentially fewer people had access to in the past. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there's a degree of an arms race as to how, how you identify and secure and rate rate players and yeah it's a moving target as well like you say you know you the guy that you think in january who's, who's been scoring goals for fun all all autumn kind of thing suddenly suddenly can't hit a barn door for three months you might revise your opinion you know more evidence might make you change your mind a little bit and just yeah nailing nailing down those ideas it's it's a moving target it's it's you know it's it's never a never a straightforward uh, you know, kind of process, and you know anyone who's ever done any work in football understands that. But you do your best, but, and that's the thing. But that doesn't mean that all of the good players have been found, or that all of the efficiencies have been taken out of the market. In fact, like very few of the efficiencies have been taken out of the market. So, uh, yeah, you know, you, you need to do the work in order to find things out. But uh, alrighty, let's move on. Oh, you're gonna. <laughs> Where are we going now? So uh, I think our quote of the week came from uh, Kieran Maguire, Price of Football, good podcast on football finance stuff. Uh, I don't know if you heard anything about this uh, Kyle Walker um, shindig, as uh, it were. Yeah, I, I think we should, <laughs> we're before the watershed, we can refer it politely as uh, a meeting with ladies that, was, that, broke, uh, that breached um, <laughs> uh, rules around uh, connecting <laughs> with people, I think violated social distancing That's the in one. a way that was probably inappropriate. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so um yeah, the the headline here from the Guardian is Manchester City to investigate Kyle Walker over sex party during lockdown. And uh, and Kieran has a as a quote over the top of this saying, Manchester City to investigate Kyle Walker on social distancing breach after he invites two sex workers around to his house. It's not strictly football finance, but it may have involved double entry, so I thought I'd highlight it. That's your counting. All right, um, moving right along to stay out of trouble. Uh, we did want to wish Carl Anka 
a longtime friend of the Stats Bomb site, uh, sometime of the podcast and of the Athletic. Uh, Wanted to wish him a happy birthday. Uh, during this time period, you know, you can't go out and have beers with your mates, but uh, you can at least have people on a podcast. I did give you big hats. Think about mocking up a picture of him with like a little party hat on and stuff. Um, I canned that idea quite quickly. It felt like it was going to be a little bit too much work and for the impact that it might have made. But yeah, happy birthday. So I can tell you there are tens of James York fans out there right now that just cried out in grief because you did not do one of your famous photoshops. There's a lot of work goes into those things, Ted. People don't realize. People just think that pointless, crappy little hacked-together photoshop uh, wasn't, you know, conceived, theorized, built realize you know it's, it's a lot of work if it weren't for the fact that the entire media industry has collapsed over the last five years i would say that that's your future james not not analysis <laughs> not not football but photoshop what comes next what comes next who knows i just See, that look that that ryan reynolds is giving on on the next slide here that's the look that i'm giving you right now james you give me that look relatively frequently <laughs> I can, and i can even tell i can i know i know in your voice so you know that's uh, <laughs> Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah, you want to talk about this film, don't you, Ted? Which I the the, foot, the football session is done. For those of you who only join us for football, good riddance. We're now going to get stuck into uh, movie and entertainment opinions with the one and only James York. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Uh, well, how do you want to approach this? Because we've got this film that you've recommended that I watch called Six Underground, but you've also got a question here uh, that that is is more broad. So I don't know which way you want right. to go into this. Let, let, let me let me flesh this out a little bit. So um, this week's entertainment assignment for James, after having had the highs of season one of The Wire, I wanted a palate cleanser. I wanted something that that would get rid of that. And and honestly, James is at his best when he's complaining about things. Really, uh, so I felt like. We should go to something that was potentially not very good. Uh, but I have no knowledge about this. I did not actually review it ahead of time. But I knew that there was a Michael Bay movie that had been released to Netflix uh, called Six Underground. And it ha- involves Ryan Reynolds, who I actually quite like. I think he's funny. Um, really entertaining guy. Uh, seems like a good person as well. You know, uh, often that, that it's nice to an addition. But the Michael Bay element, I think, was what really sold me on this. This has a ten- potential to be an absolute train wreck. Um, so, James, did you actually watch the whole movie? I watched about forty minutes of it, <laughs> and then it, so you I watched st- about a third, I think. Yeah, maybe. And then I struggled a little bit. It was. It became a little bit tough. I'll tell you what I did like. It's set, some of it's set in Florence, and obviously I went to Florence uh, not that long ago, uh, kind of pre-crisis. Uh, so I was like, I know that. That's the cathedral. I recognise that. We were supposed to be in Florence two weeks ago yeah, that's for. True. Uh, for uh yeah uh, a little conference for italy and but was there was there part where like they also ended up in siena it looked like yeah no they, i mean obviously there was a duomo and i was like wait a second that's siena yeah i read <laughs> i read up on this and um uh basically it's it's supposed to be in florence but they filmed it in about four different italian cities because i was watching that because <laughs> i walked around florence like really a couple of months ago and walked around enough of the center to get a good flavor of what it looks like and i was looking at it, i was like i don't remember that bit at all <laughs> And it's like, yeah, because it isn't Florence. So, yeah, they've just made all these kind of like little kind of hacked together scenes of, of generic Italy and uh, claimed that it's Florence. So that was kind of, that was kind of interesting having like so you know, our, our the, chief um, commercial officer is is from Florence and has a still I think his family still has a house there and stuff like that. And I wish that I had been there more recently, but I was only there a couple of years ago. We were there like incredibly hot Tuscan summer. 
And and I'm like watching this and I'm like, okay, wow, wait, this must be Florence. I kind of recognize this, but yeah. they don't tell you that. And, and I'm like, the more it goes on, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm comfortable with this. And then there are like two or three things that are totally jarring. And during that trip with my family, like we walked through Siena and we went to the right. <laughs> the, the sort of very famous area down yeah, in yeah. the center. And Siena's like super tight. So I don't think you could actually drive those cars through Siena as much, or at least, you know, some of the central parts. Anyway, point being, it opens up in Florence. There's like a big job gone wrong. James, I, I will say, First of all, the Duomo there is like absolutely stunning. And Florence mm. is amazing. Like you would like turn a corner and suddenly there's this other awesome thing. And that happens throughout like most of the city. So it, it's, it's just stunning. If you ever get a chance to get there and you have not been, uh, it's a pretty cool place to go see. Um, but I was really impressed by some of the stunts in in like the first sort of scene or act or whatever. It was it was actually kind of cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's genuinely t- technically. I mean, this is the thing about this film, like watching it, like... It was just quips, you know, integrated with kind of random violence and car chasing and, you know, just some craziness, slow motions all over the place. Technically, it's really, really, really uh, strongly made. And you just feel like, to some regard, uh, if this Bay character could ever get some, like, we could had any interest in, like, quality <laughs> material... He can make a really quite impressive film, <laughs> but he's obviously not very interested in quality material. The, the product placements are hilarious. I mean, uh, they, that yes, I felt a you li- start out with a Red Bull product placement. <laughs> I felt a little bit like I was um, kind of like drinking in the advertising industry when it was like you know two or three product placements in that were just literally just a scene of I think it was one of them was a bottle of whiskey or something, bottle of whiskey, two glasses full of whiskey, and it was it was like the the end shot of a whiskey advert. And it's like that's yeah. a, that's a scene in the film. It's not even kind of like you know worked in. It's just like no, that's a scene in the film. Uh, so I don't that, think that it was, was even like Ryan Reynolds stuff. He, I think he owns like a gin company or something like that. Right. But, uh, but yes. Anyway, like I, I found the product placement to be really jarring to the yeah. point that I was like, what is this? Is it like a really long commercial? Now that brings us back to Michael Bay. Do you know how Michael Bay sort of got his start in 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 sort of film? I don't, but I know all I know is Bad Boys was his first film. Right, so Bad Boys was his first film, but he used to film videos, like music videos. Right. And and so, like, there's his... <laughs> oh, man. So we've, there's a bunch of video shorts in his IMDb stuff. Donny Osmond is on here, Sacred Emotion, uh, a Richard Mark song, Vanilla Ice, I Love You, and Play That Funky Music. Uh, Playboy, Carrie Kendall, Video Centerfold, also on his historic, um, you know, list of work, I guess. Lived the life, uh, hasn't he? He really has lived the life. And and like, there's just like some really, yeah. Sticks is on here from like the '90s. Winger can't get enough. Divinals. Oh my God! I touch myself. Do you know that song, James? I do know that song actually. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Wilson Phillips. You won't see me cry. Tina Turner. He has worked with some talent. And then there's a whole bunch of meatloaf on here. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but I'm going to lean toward Bad Out of Hell 2 in particular being on the worst side of that. But yes, you're right. His first... Now now we come to the question that is on, on the slide yeah. here. What is the best Michael Bay movie? And he does start off with something pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I looked at this. Um, I think it probably, for me, and it's only I watched it once, like 20 years ago, or maybe even more, and Bad Boys, it was fine. At that in that era, I've spoken about this before. Will Smith was like the biggest star in the world. Basically, you'd pay 
ten million dollars or whatever it was and just get Will Smith to play a character called Will usually in a film or whatever it is and he'd just come along and be wise cracking smart guy and everyone lapped it up for about five years in the late 90s and just couldn't get enough of it and Bad Boys was one of those films obviously it was a buddy cop movie you know the familiar kind of uh, format from that era I don't remember much about it I remember thinking it was quite entertaining um, has an excellent soundtrack right it doesn't review for I looked I looked here at the reviews like review wise um, The Rocks is uh, most re- revered film with about a kind of like average six out of ten mark or something like that. <laughs> and, um, Welcome to Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember hating The Rock as well because it just there was just there were too many kind of. Uh, I, I, there's a scene at some point I can't remember. It was probably Nicholas Cage just dives under the water to save himself from an explosion, and it's like. Okay, yeah, water's just this amazing, like, impervious substance that, you know, you can't explode anything through. And I it, feel like it, we need to clarify a little bit. This is the movie The Rock, yeah. not the actor The Rock, who, who doesn't love the Michael Rock? Bay has also worked with as part of his filmography. <laughs> See, I don't know that. Maybe I'd be more interested in that. I couldn't get, I couldn't get through Six Underground. I have to say, I've got to a point, uh, and I was just like, it felt... It just felt too frenetic for me. I I didn't want to watch. I literally, I just literally didn't want to watch it anymore. I didn't have any joy left. Um, it's fatiguing. Yeah, and it was. I just. I just don't care now. I don't care what happens in this film. I don't care about any of these people. What well, random aside? I spent at least some of the film getting mixed up between Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling, and I was thinking, this is twice you've burnt me, Gosling, because because I hated Drive. You remember that film? Oh my god! So, so I was like, I can't believe I've been burnt by this guy again. And uh, until I rescue it, like kind of was like, he kind of looks a bit like him. And it was like he doesn't look he does that not. much like him. He and it was like not. right, okay, now because I don't even know, I have no idea who Ryan Reynolds is until like watching this film because I don't know, he just hasn't entered my orbit. So I think his biggest movie would have been Deadpool which is one of the best yeah, comic book movies and you know, obviously you will it. have yeah. not seen that. No, quite. <laughs> However, so we, we come back to the question. Uh, I'm going to list them off quickly here. We've got Bad Boys, which is where he started. 1996, The Rock, Sean Connery, Nick Cage, Ed Harris, hell of a cast. Uh, we've got Armageddon in 1998. Also pretty interesting Don't cast. Recall that. Affleck. Affleck as a junior. Wait, what? I don't know. I presumably I've seen it, but I don't recall seeing it. I don't know what happens in it apart from some explosions yeah wow james well i'm not gonna I, you know wow do i need to watch that there were loads and loads of films that were the same or in that around that era so, uh, hmm. okay <laughs> moving along uh so bad boys the rock armageddon like this is a great start this is like back when we talked about will smith you're like all right he's on a real heater everything's going great and then you hit pearl harbor where they gave him like all of the money that he wanted to and it was a steaming pile and then you hit Bad Boys 2, 2003. Okay, you know, sequel, no big deal. Yeah, but then, get like, back on the horse, that, isn't it? You know, we'll just do another one of them good films that people liked. And it feels like um, that almost ended Martin Lawrence's and Will Smith's career for a while. I know it didn't, but it feels like, you know, that was not a good omen. Hey, here's a random, then, random fact, just to chuck in here. There was a new Bad Boys film at the start of this year. They, yeah, start of 2020. And I right. believe it's, um, it's the box office leader for this year. <laughs> or you know what that means yeah 2020 is like box office like, there's got to be a chance that it's going to be like the biggest film of the year by accident because well, that's, it- that's great you you should actually just 
Like this is a betting prop, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you should post this as a bookie. Will Bad Boys Two Three be the <laughs> box office leader at the end of the yeah, year? Yeah, come out January, you're gonna be like buried in the winter somewhere, and it's like, yeah, you never know. Might be the biggest hit. This of is the year, type of stuff mistake. that we would do at Pinnacle. Like occasionally, you're just sitting around and you're like, you know, what can we post that would be interesting? And obviously, we would put Oscars props up and Super Bowl props and things like that. But occasionally, I mean, we would post Magic the Gathering stuff because there were like 30 guys there that played Magic the Gathering off and on professionally. But like, we we just occasionally come up with something interesting. So. 2005, we've gone through Bad Boys 2, and Michael Bay then goes to the island, which I believe involves Scarlett Johansson and Ewan McGregor, and was terrible. Yeah, and then, so so I think at, after the island and Pearl Harbor, like basically being somewhere between not good and terrible, um, Michael Bay must have signed a deal with the devil in order to continue his career. We're going to blow shit up now. And that was it. With large robots. Yeah. So, I haven't seen any of the Transformers films. Can you believe oh, it? Oh, I'm shocked. I, 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 I had no idea, but thank you for telling me. I used to so, like Transformers as a kid. They were great. <laughs> really enjoyable. But anyway, I'm crying into my microphone right now. <laughs> so 2007, Transformers. 2009, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. 2011, Transformers Dark of the Moon. Not to be confused with Dark Side of the Moon, which is to be taken with drugs and not very much light and Pink Floyd. Uh... 2013, Painted Again, that's where The Rock came along, uh, I believe Mark Wahlberg. Uh, 2014, Transformers Age of Extinction. Uh, 2016, 13 Hours, I have no idea what it is. And then 2017, Transformers Last Night. And then Six Underground. So I feel like in order to be, continue his career, he was forced into basically purgatory of Transformers. You have to fuck around with large robots and things blowing up. He gave John Turturro one of the worst parts that that man has ever had, and he is a god in the acting world. And so I cannot forgive michael bay for that but going back to probably the first half of his career as you can see that we might have a lean toward this i need an answer james what's the best michael bay movie oh well, like i said I, I think it's probably bad boys just because i don't mind bad boys and like i, I wasn't offended by bad boys it's probably i bet i bet if you watch bad boys now it's got all sorts of like really kind of like mm, you wouldn't say that in 2020 type stuff in it because it's all kind of probably yeah do you know what I mean? there's loads of films like that like kind of late it's 90s 25 years old yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> times have changed man they really have and uh yeah i, bet I strongly like believe that. the answer is the rock even if you're you going the wrong, seem yeah. to hate it for various reasons but yes yeah. i like um, nick cage as well I'll, I'll watch nick cage in a film i think he's very entertaining but wow i just is, don't like that film and i don't like face like, either i like nick cage mm. these are not words that i would expect you to no, say he's good. he was he's a, funny. as a high class cinema connoisseur <laughs> he's all right he's good value this is the thing some people good i'll tell you what I, I thought about um six underground i felt like uh i mean it isn't but if if it was a tom cruise film and they just slowed it down a notch it would probably be acceptable to some degree i mean it wasn't it was garbage but like uh <laughs> you know how tom cruise just makes his film if tom cruise was in the ryan reynolds role and it just slowed down a little bit basically it was mission impossible <laughs> then it's like okay that's fine it's the same thing <sighs> yeah I, I watched the last Mission Impossible. I actually am a fan of those movies, mm. and it was bad. Mm. It was so so bad. Right. Yeah, I've, I've so, I think I've watched one or two of them just on TV when they've come around, but it's not something I've sought out. But I don't. I again, I don't mind Tom Cruise in general. Tom Cruise. Sure, Tom Cruise does his thing. He's great. <laughs> uh, I, I've watched a num I've watched all of the Mission Impossible. In fact, um, the one that had Philip Seymour Hoffman as the as the villain was fucking great. 
Like right. that one sizzled. Love that one. Uh, the first one with Rebecca Ferguson also I thought was pretty good, not amazing, and that was kind of where this one went back to. Anyway, um, I did have one quick note that I did in the research here. I had heard that maybe this was Netflix trying to create their own series, a bit like Fast and Furious, and right, uh, yeah, because that's all that we have, right? We're Everybody get wants seven to underground next, then eight underground, six underground, two, two six underground furious or i don't know yeah you're not in charge of naming in the future i just <laughs> want to make that clear now uh so i wanted to note about number two who is melanie laurent right uh melanie laurent is an actress i believe she was born in paris her mother was a ballerina and her dad was a voice actor in what show did you mention earlier in simpsons. this and i didn't set this up at all i said the simpsons was that the Simpsons, exactly. Wow. So he was, was one of the it? voice actors for the French version of The Simpsons. Oh, really? Then yes. there was a French version of The Simpsons. Well, what we, what do you think that it's called? This was the whole Le the Simpsons. whole thing has been Les Simpsons. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we should wrap it up, sir. Okay, cool. All right, cool. thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll we'll endeavour to create further content. Don't miss out on Ted's uh, Thursday, three p.m. Uh, British summertime chat with uh, Gab Marcotti and uh, yeah we'll be back next week uh, Tuesday for more of this stuff and I'll create some content for it yeah if you like the streaming stuff do tell us uh, you know we'll see the the numbers at the end of it but we figure everybody's really bored looking for more stuff to do we launched the course that one is out there for you to take anytime anywhere it's a video course um, it's 50 pounds plus VAT and, uh, and we hope you enjoy it. We will take feedback. You can send us emails uh, of complaints or praise. We will accept both. And uh, and yeah, so if you like the streaming stuff, like expect to see it pretty regularly while the lockdown is happening. And we'll try and keep the, the number of interesting guests flowing. Uh, that's all for now. All right, cheers, bye.